The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. The occasion had got to me. So I remember getting up, walking to the front of the technical area, not to do anything, just to almost snap myself out of it. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and this morning I've got a very special guest with me. My guest this morning is Aaron Danks. Morning Aaron, how are you? Morning, yes. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us. Um, so Aaron, just for those that aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, would you mind just giving us a bit of a backdrop as to what that is? Yeah, sure. So I'm currently um, England under-21's assistant coach. Um, I've been with them for this season. Um, and I've worked at the FA for the last five years. I think we'll speak a little bit more about the journey and where I've come from prior to that. But yeah, that's me at the moment. Um, thoroughly enjoying it. Um, and obviously negating, negotiating our way through COVID restrictions and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's an exciting season for us with the 21s. Excellent. You just touched on there about the journey. Um, I want to take you right back to the start of your journey. Um, where did that begin? You know, what was the first point in time where you felt, you know, coaching caught your eye and what was it about coaching that actually caught your passion? Yeah. Um, so, I've been a career coach really, so I got into it really, really, really young. Um, the age of 15, still being in school and doing like voluntary kind of Saturday morning coaching sessions. Um, I played a little bit, but never to a decent enough standard to, to earn any money or, or get paid for playing football. So coaching was quite a, um, it was a passion from a young age. Um, I, I finished, did my GCSE exams and then I was looking, probably thought I'd become a PE teacher or was working along those routes. Um, started my A-levels, was about a month or two into my A-levels and Birmingham City Football Club um, called me. I remember the I remember the phone call clearly. Um, called me and offered me an apprenticeship as a coach. So it was like a two-year YTS programme. Uh, I'd go to college with all the scholarship players, the youth team players, uh, and get some like BTEC certificates and uh, diplomas in sports science. And then um, at the same time, get my coaching badges. While they were training on the grass, I was a bag of balls, a bus pass, going into inner city schools in Birmingham and putting sessions on. Um, so that was a brilliant, a brilliant um, foot in for me and a way in to it. So I was um, doing a lot of grassroots stuff, a lot of school programs, holiday camps. Um, yeah, and that was the first, well, I ended up being at Birmingham for seven years, like the first two two years as a YTS, and then working in the community program, running my own areas in Birmingham, um, raising my own funding, putting on my own holiday camps and courses and soccer sessions and like, it was kind of football for all, really. So you was working with everybody from those that were really keen to walking into schools. And there were kids in there that have never played football before. There was kids in there that weren't interested and like trying to deliver all that kind of participation stuff. Um, and then through the community program, moved into the academy at Birmingham uh, and started to look a little bit more at like working with um, 
players of higher potential, players who who uh, I've just been scouted, recruited to play in the academy. Um, yes, yeah, so that was the, that that was the start really, and and for me it just lit a passion around. I loved the game. I fell in love with the game. Uh, knew I wasn't good enough to, as a player, but wanted to contribute. Um, and this got the bug for coaching. Got the bug for seeing improvement in people. Got the bug for making people smile, got the book for communication, like all those little things that are so, so important at any level. Um, I just got a, a real taste for it early and yeah, just threw myself into it. That's excellent. I feel, I feel quite unique, obviously, the way you started in terms of like, being on the YTS and them supporting you for a coaching pathway as well. Um, you know, not something you've got often here of. But, you know, you're spending seven years at Birmingham. Just so you know, it's kind of fitting a bit, a bit more of a timeline. So you said you started around fifteen, going on sixteen. How old? Yeah. Are you yeah. So I'm uh, thirty-eight now. Uh, so yeah, I've been doing it for over twenty years. So from Birmingham, um, I moved across to West Bromwich Albion. In the middle of that, I was doing some work at Sage as well. Whilst I was at Birmingham, and I was I was at. Um, West Brom so the Solihull College piece was really helpful so did some basic teaching qualifications mm. got to coach their their youth team which played in the Midland Floodlit League so it was under 18 players some been released by clubs um, we played um, as a local non-league team's youth team mm. um, competed in the evenings it was really good like really good and then on the, in the, on the grass every day with them so it's almost like a full-time coaching program with them and then I'm back in at the academy learning moved across to West Brom um got introduced to Dan Ashworth who was the academy manager at the time at West Brom went on to become the technical director uh, met him he had a really good vision for the club a really good vision for the way they wanted to play for the development program um so I moved across there and then my first full-time role at West Brom was to set up the video analysis department. So I was still coaching. I would still work with a couple of the age groups, but it was to set up a video analysis team. So again, like what a learning experience that was for me. It was before video analysis was as professional as it is today. And I was winging it a little bit, if in all honesty. Uh, but I brought a video camera. I got a laptop off the, um, off the football league. And in the day, Eight times filming under 18 sessions. I was filming under 18 games, reserve team games, working with the 18 head coach, the reserve team head coach, clipping the footage up for them, putting clips on, presenting to the players. Um, and then in the evenings, still coaching my age groups, doing the day release programs with my age groups. So I was still getting my coaching fixed, but I was learning a different skill as well. Um, did that for a couple of years. Again, West Brom realised that video analysis needed to be a little bit more professional and get somebody in who was, knew what they were doing. So they they um, employed somebody to, to really kick that department on and it's now such a big part of most football clubs. Um, and I became the 12 to 16s um, manager, so lead of the 12 to 16s programme. Again, brilliant experience there, working with all the different age groups in a, in a difficult stage of, people, of player development because they're going through all the growth spurts and all the outside influences and some of the players are finding their voice some players are losing their voice some players are going within themselves it was just so, such a diverse experience and then my last couple of years at West Brom I was youth team coach so I worked with the 18s on the grass every day 
competing in the um, Cat One Games program, uh, working closely with the under twenty threes coach. Um, so yeah, and I mean West Brom as a club was was such a good learning environment, such a good experience, to, especially to begin with. The first few years there before the E Triple P really kicked in and before it became um, a bigger a bigger beast, there was probably four or five of us that was coaching everybody. So we would be doing the under six and sevens development centre on a Friday evening, working with um, helping out with youth team sessions, working with the school release programmes, working with the under nines all the way through to the 18s. Some Saturday mornings we were asked to take sessions with the first team players that have been left out of the, of the match day squad. So, I mean, we were coaching everybody and we were getting such a good uh, exposure and learning experience uh, there. Um, yeah, so really, really good club and then took, helped the club through the P process. I so did the first phase of audits as 12 to 16 lead, second phase of audits as youth team coach. So I got to see two different lenses on that um, and then moved across to the FA. So I've been kind of like a Birmingham West Brom FA stayed in and around the Birmingham region, never had to really relocate yet in my career. Um, but yeah, had some such diverse experiences and such great learning opportunities. That's fantastic. And you know, you talk about the range of experiences there, both you know, going from Birmingham to West Brom. You know, thinking about your time at West Brom, you know, I just want to talk a little bit more about that and your role as uh, initially the 12 and 16s lead. Um, Obviously, things have changed massively over the last 10 years, as you know, especially since mm-hmm. the Triple P came in and whatnot. What would you say some of the biggest differences are that you saw, obviously, aside from, you know, the ad hoc um, or uh, quote-unquote bootleg video analysis department? Um, mm-hmm. What would you say the massive, the, you know, the, the major changes have been for you throughout that throughout that process um, from your observations? Yeah, I think the um, all the academies up and down the country and the Premier League running the academies program have uh, done a fantastic, fantastic job with through the Triple P of highlighting some important stuff. So highlighting contact time, um, getting more access to the players, um, getting uh, um, more professionalisation around coaching and coaching qualifications and coach education, um, and getting more buddies in the building, and not just coaches, but a multidisciplinary team. So the, the, the support network that's wrapped around the players now, I think, is exceptional. And as an international coach for the last five years, definitely reaps the rewards of that. So I've got to work with some fantastic players um, from all different parts of the uh, the UK or even around Europe now, but um, some great English talent that uh, the academy programme's producing. Um, that would definitely be the strengths and the benefits of it. I think the the watchouts would be um, sometimes the over prescription of work. So because the program gets big, because your staffing structure gets bigger, sometimes you feel the need to prescribe every session, every detail. Like you can walk into some academies, you can pick a folder off the shelf, you can flick to. 6th of January 2021 and you know the exact session that you're delivering you know the practice design you whereas for me as a younger coach we we didn't have that we had a framework we had a a curriculum that we had to work from but the practice design was up to you and I made so many mistakes I designed so many practices that didn't work and failed and 
uh, to get feedback and recognize oh, I'm going to do it again but I'm going to tweak that little bit and make that area bigger or take that rule out that was too complicated and um, so I had to make loads of mistakes and I just I just wonder if we do that enough as coaches we, we allow the coaches enough room to make their own mistakes and learn from them um, I think there's coach development is player development the better we improve our coaches the better we improve our players um, and sometimes we can get lost with that uh, so yeah but I mean lots of differences lots of change not just over 10 years over 20 years over 30 years um, lots of coaches top coaches now who are good players professional players you speak to them about their upbringing and they were never coached they played street football they played five sides in training the senior players roughed them up in the dressing room to make sure they got the messages and and now we've got this really professionalized coaching network where the players get everything done for them they know where they need to be what to do to be told and just sometimes i think there's a there's a trade-off in there somewhere there's a trade-off between the street baller and the and the really professionalized coaching structure um, and that excites me as a coach just to explore that, tap into that and think, right, what, what can we do here? How can we still produce a street footballer under a safe, um, highly detailed environment that we have? Yeah, just on that, obviously, you know, I think a lot of that obviously is due to societal changes as well. You know, it's become, you know, certainly when I was younger and probably when you were as well, you know, we used to be able to go out on the yeah. street and just play willingly um, without you know, worrying about yeah. having to pay for anything or, you know, someone coming to pick us up and, you know, run off with us and that sort of thing. And, it, 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 you know, it sounds crazy to say, but it is one of the biggest fears at the moment you know, for a lot of parents. And, you know, even finding facilities now to actually go and play is becoming increasingly mm-hmm. difficult. Even parks, they're not leaving the goals up as long as they used to. Um, so I guess, you know, you, 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 there is, you're right, there is going to be a trade-off in that respect. But, you know, what, what would you say are some of the things that, you know, outside the obvious of being able, in terms of being able to play with any random different age groups and type, different types of people, what would you say are some of the obvious things that that you see as benefits of of having that street element to it? Yeah, I think I think we we need to we need to notice this and we need to be creative about our thoughts around it. So I agree hundred percent with your your messaging around like access to facilities, places, safe places to go and play. Um, but I just think we can be be way more creative about how we look at that. So schools staying, keeping the gates open longer and uh, lots of the schools in Birmingham now have got AstroTurfs on their, on their, on their playgrounds. So it's like, well, I don't know, rather than throwing thousands and thousands of pounds at building new 4Gs and, and building new facilities and trying to get more access, which then costs a lot to rent and hire those facilities can't we like throw a load of money at the caretakers and get them to open the gates and get them to, to, to let the kids in and play. And like, so I think we can be really creative and look at, look at these kind of stuff if we think it's important. And if we recognize that those, those important things, the street footballer for me, um, the qualities of the street footballer was he could self-organize. So he could find three or four other lads and get a game going. He could, manage the teams one team was too strong right you you come and play on my team and flip that, flip that over so their game intelligence was actually really high um, their game management was really good um, you often played on on horrible surfaces gravelly pit, 
pitches, uh, concrete, where you didn't want to fall over, you didn't want to slip, you didn't want to slide. So your balance was really good. Um, your control had to be really good. Um, the the creativity, the, the technical creativity then coming off the back of that. So little scoop passes to get over the curb and get into a goal-scoring position, a little one-two off a, a wheel of a car, like all those little little things they 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 learn a lot for themselves they self-organize themselves um so for me it's it's recognizing that in our coaching and just recognizing as a coach now to go right okay how can i create a environment of play um what age groups is that really important with i would argue lots um and what's my style of coaching going to be? So when do I need to come in and support? When do I need to come in and offer some guidance to help them with some pictures, show them something that they might not be noticing? Um, and there's definitely a space for that. There's definitely, we all know that the coaching is part, is that. Um, but I just think sometimes creating a really good learning environment does almost 80% of your work for you. And then you as the coach comes in and does that last 20%. Um, we had a, a coaching model at the FA where we spoke about the plan, do, review cycle quite a lot. Um, we, we split it down into the plan, plan the learning, create the learning environment, coach the learning, and then review the learning. So that doing bit in the middle, we split in half into create the environment first, see how much of it can take care of itself. And then you come in and do the coaching as and when you need to. Um, so that excites me, all that practice design stuff and uh, looking at those little nuances to to develop these kind of street creative football players um yeah really excites me no brilliant thank you for that and obviously talking there about the coaching philosophy or the way in which you guys are set up and you know helping as coaches to breed more character and more of those qualities out of players i'm just interested to know about yourself then in terms of your own coaching philosophy and what the fundamentals are for you and how that differs to maybe some of the environments you've worked in more specifically have you ever found that you've had to maybe hold back on some of the way that you want to work because of the environment you're currently working in or were working in at that time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in terms of my coaching philosophy, uh, you know, I revisit this so often, um, like every three months, probably sit down and do myself a new slide deck and have a couple of new bullet points in. Or um, and The FA has been really good for me in that. So, Working at the FA is a slightly different pace to working in the club environment where you're on the grass every day in the club world. And whereas the FA can be a bit more reflective, I kind of liken it to going to university. So, um, yeah, real masterclass learning environment. Uh, but you get time to, to self-reflect, you get time to study. Um, so I and the FA, in the England DNA, it speaks about how we play, how we coach, how we support the future England player. So it like breaks down your philosophy into smaller chunks. So I've kind of done that really. Um, so I'd have a, a playing philosophy in my head, um, which would be quite adaptable. I'd have a, a coaching philosophy in my head, like what, what I think coaching sessions look like. And then I'd have like a cultural philosophy in my head, like what kind of environments I think players benefit from, I benefit from, suit me down to the ground and, um, there's definitely been a little bit of a roller coaster with that, but I've been lucky that I've worked with, for some great leaders and in some great environments where they've 
they've trusted me and they've allowed me to flourish and they've given me the the freedom to 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 go and do my work and and really express myself i think that's where i'm at my best um but what those organizations did do was they give me clear direction give me a, a goal a purpose and a sense of belonging to that so i think that again i felt that was really really important um for me personally i've probably got three bullet points that jump out to me around compete joy and perspective so compete for me, it's like we compete in everything we do every single day. Um, people listening to this podcast are competing. They want to get better. They want to learn. They want to improve. Um, that's that's it for me. That process of um, not winning, not not hanging everything on three points, hanging everything on winning a trophy, hanging everything on. At some point in my career, I want to win the Champions League. Or I want to win the Premier League um, because. I don't think there is a destination. I don't think there is a happy place in terms of ha- I think the happy place is, is that every single day you're getting up to be better. Every single day I'm getting up to compete. I'm getting up to, I want my sessions to be competitive. I want the players to be competitive. Um, I want them to understand every day is about improvement. Every day is about them competing against themselves and getting a better version of themselves out. Um, <coughs> so that's the compete element. Uh, the joy element, the enjoyment, the fun, the um, <clears throat> the best people I've worked with have made me laugh. The best environments I've been in, I've felt relaxed, happy, I've smiled. Uh, we've had a whale of a time. We've laughed. Uh, sometimes we've cried together. Sometimes we've hurt. Sometimes we've been in pain. Sometimes we've argued. Sometimes we've rowed. Uh, but like any family, we, we we laugh way more and we we have way more fun than we do. those, uh, And that's what gets you through those difficult times. So that enjoyment piece. Uh, some of my mentors, I, I just look back at their coaching styles and they were funny. They were they were cracking jokes in sessions. They were making players laugh when they when they needed to. They were tough. When they needed to tell, they told. When they needed to shout, they shouted. And 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 I think it had a bigger impact because they connected with people. Um, and then the last bit with the perspective piece um, is a, a really interesting word. I went to. I, I was lucky enough to visit a few different. Uh, organizations I went to Golden State Warriors and they use this word a lot about perspective 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 I was talking to them about like competing in the biggest moments the biggest games and in playoff games and in championship games and they said yeah but as long as the players have got perspective on what it all means it's not that big it's not that big an issue like you just they just get through it and they just deal with it and I was like wow like and then they were talking about coaching perspective they, they coach perspective they always I'm like, well, how? Like, what do you mean? It was like, well, I went there the end of Black History Month um, and they're just adding two uh, black athletes in to talk about their times. Um, they did um, a human rights stand uh, on the podium, got stripped of their medals. It was interpreted as a black power thing and, and they get kicked out of the Olympic Village. But it was to give their young black athletes perspective on athletes that have gone before them who had given them the rights and the privileges that they had today and and suffered um and i used to i used to have a saying as a young coach around talent needs trauma and I looked at lots of top athletes and they'd come from traumatic backgrounds or from different circumstances and what the battle i was having with myself was what what about the like the middle class 
player that's come through a really nice environment. Have I got to make something traumatic for him? Have I got to like expose him to something? So actually, I've, I've rephrased it to like talent needs perspective. And I work with like super talented, high potential players that earn a lot of money early, that get a, given a lot to them early, that get a lot of privileges early in life. And I think if they don't have perspective on life and perspective on what all that means and continue to compete and continue to have fun, um, they can get lost in the game. So I think giving them perspective, um, asking them asking them their opinions. I want to know their perspective. I want to know their perspective on the game plan. I want to know their perspective on life. I want to know their perspective on George Floyd. I want to know their perspective on on everything that's on everything and anything really, their perspective on Love Island, their perspective on Gogglebox. Do you know what I mean? I, I, we'll get into these conversations just to connect with people and just to get their voice and and develop their leadership skills and develop their communication skills. And I just think that's a big part of coaching, a big part of my beliefs in coaching. Uh, so them three things get me up and drive me every day, really. Um, and I want to bring them to my coaching all the time. Mm, you, you touched on a couple of things there. I'm going to pick on the first one, um, that last bit about leadership and looking at different ways and you're connecting with people. And obviously, you know, leadership is a, a fascinating thing for me because there's so many different ways in which it can be done. And, and you know, surely, I mean, I'm sure you'd agree, sorry, is that it needs to be done in different ways for different people to meet their own needs and you know, get the best out of those. You know, over the years now, you know, having worked in the roles that you have worked in, um, up to now, what what would you say your roles have taught you about leadership itself? For me, or the player, um, or both, both really. I mean, but you know, go if you're looking back at your journey as a as a as a as a young player and moving into the coaching world, you would have seen maybe yeah. probably over the years you probably see some great examples of great leadership that maybe potentially could have been missing when you were younger, or if had you had those elements in in your upbringing that you know maybe your path might have been different as well potentially yeah yeah i think um leadership complicated um so if we start off with you as you as a coach and your leadership abilities so i've led phases in academies i've led youth teams um i've led coaches and led a team of coaches to towards a goal and my God, it's tough. Um, it's it is it has to be personalised. It has to be different for for individuals. It has to be like you can't lead one way and expect everybody to follow. Like if you want if you want to get followers, if you want to inspire people, um, you have to find different ways of leading different people. So I found that really really complex, and I've made so many mistakes with that even recently even in the last few years of leading coaches and leading people I think sometimes oh, do you know what? I shouldn't have said that I tripped over my words there I didn't mean that I had the best of intentions to to, to, to move in this direction and actually we've gone in that direction and um, so leadership is really really complicated um, and I take that then onto the field so when we talk about leaders in the game and leaders on the pitch and player leaders um, they come in all different shapes and sizes like you say and some are quiet leaders, some are inspirational in their actions, some are vocal, some are loud. I'm fortunate now that I, I can still get into into certain games and, and scout players and watch players 
even with the, the lockdown restrictions, but the stadiums are empty, so you can hear you can hear lots, you can hear the vocal ones, you can hear the ones that, that their voice bellows around the stadium and it echoes and you, you can hear it so clear. And then the quiet ones, and you can see the coaches on the touchline are very similar as well. There's some quiet ones, there's some that come up when they need to come up, there's some that are there non-stop, there's some dugouts that have got three or four people shouting onto the pitch. And um, so leadership's different. Um, what I get frustrated with is this conversation I hear so much of is there's, there's no leaders in the game anymore. Players don't communicate enough with uh, Generation Z or whatever we're in now and the mobile phones and the, the way that they communicate now. And, and I get it. I understand why people are having those conversations. But sometimes I, I just worry that actually in what spaces are we giving them an opportunity to lead? In what spaces are we giving them an opportunity to communicate? So that's again back to my perspective piece. Really, I want I want to know their perspective. I want to know how they feel. And sometimes peer to peer coaching is way more impactful than me saying it. Like I've I've had examples of like, there's a, there's a, there's a simple there's a shot in a game. If he'd have squared it across, his mate had an easier goal scoring position. I could have said that point, but it came from one of the centre halves behind. It came from um one of the big defenders and he said to me, like square that it's a tapping like and that they can speak in a language to each other sometimes it's way more impactful um so i just think the leadership stuff i think it's it sometimes can be too easy a comment to say there's no leaders in the game it can be too easy a comment to say uh players are different now players have changed players don't communicate it's like well okay but what are we going to do about it I always want to find the solution I always want to rather than moan about the problem I want to find the solution I want to go right okay well we need to give them sessions where we're quiet and they've got to talk we need to give them spaces in their training sessions huddles where they can get together and they can talk discuss about what the plan is or what the opposition are doing what problems they're causing to them how we can find solutions and I think they're the, they're the, the leadership and the communication skills we have a responsibility to develop as much as we've got a responsibility to develop a Cruyff turn or a, or a, a whipped finish. We've got a responsibility to develop a communication skill, a, a leadership, a, and a, a bravery to step forward and say something, a bravery to put their hand up and challenge what the coach has said or ask a question on what the coach has said. Um, these are the players that we need to, to thrive in the biggest moments, the biggest games, to win World Cups, to we need teams of people. Um, yeah, so I'm again, I go off on one, but I'm really passionate about it. No, no, I think it's fascinating. I think it's it's, it's really for me leadership. Such a it's such a you know it has so much depth to it because you know you've got to be so conscious of so many different variables. You know, like you know you talked about earlier on about you know the, the street play or the middle class play or. You know, but that's just looking at it from one potential environment. Never mind, you know, what people come from different cultures, different countries, different backgrounds, and how certain things might affect them. You know, I was having this conversation over there. You might have some cultures where actually looking at someone in the eye is a sign of respect. In other cultures, it's, you don't look at people in the eye. Um, it's just looking at all these little subtle things and thinking, right, yeah. how well. And it coming back to the piece that you were talking about earlier about that joy piece and making having jokes and just really connecting with the people just to understand right what are they about what's what makes them tick what they um, you know what do they enjoy what do they not enjoy what, how do they feel and you know just looking at every aspect of that individual and I think that is obviously all 
falls into that leadership piece. Um, you know, speaking of that joy piece that you that you mentioned earlier, you know, you talked there about watching some of your mentors and uh, when they were working, and they you know they would always conscious to you know maybe throw a little bit of a joke in there and whatnot, just to kind of you know when it was needed, and obviously when they were, when they needed to be tough, they could be tough. On that note. I'm just interested to know who some of those mentors are for you and maybe what were some of the biggest lessons that you've, you've kind of pulled away from the work from them. Yeah, for sure. Um, again, this is something that I think about a lot. Think about what is a mentor who, who have been my mentors, who's currently mentoring me, who, who's currently helping me. And I, I've just been so fortunate to work around so many different good people. Um, I always think there's, there's, there's two or three coaches that have had a really big impact on me. So um, Dan Ashworth, who was academy manager, then TD at West Brom, TD at England, uh, was actually a really, really talented coach, um, a really good communication skills, really good practice design, learned so much from him. Prior to him at Birmingham, there was um, academy manager called Stuart Hall. Stuart did some of the FA coach education work as well. Again, Stuart was really creative with his coaching, great personality, uh, always delivered with personality um, and really got us thinking as young coaches about detail around delivery and that. Um, we came across a coach called Roger Wilkinson. So Roger worked, um, he set up a coaching company in England with John Cartwright, uh, who was more London-based, John, and um, their coaching company was all around practice play and it was all around street football, really. It was all around recreating street football environments and, and developing um, individuals within a team sport and developing skillful players. Now, Rogers, Roger, again, he cracks a joke every five minutes, um, but his coaching detail as well on top of that was fantastic. So th those guys all, all had a massive impact on me, um, but that's not to be... <laughs> to be disrespectful of some of the other leaders that I've worked for the fantastic. So Mark Harrison as the academy manager at West Brom, um, Matt Crocker at the FA, all give me different skills around organisation, around vision, around planning. Um, but you know what? Deep down, probably some of your best mentors are peers, not necessarily people that you would like... I always thought of a mentor as like this guru that you'd hold up in this. And, so, and some of those people that I've mentioned are, are that really. They are the guru figures. But some of my best mentors have been my best mates. And Jimmy Shan, we coached together from from, a, from the start, really. We did the Birmingham community stuff together. We went to Birmingham Academy together. We went to West Brom together. We just grew up together as coaches. Um, he's almost more like my coach and brother, really. And we would just do sessions together and go, oh, what did you say that for? What did you mean by that? And I thought of these three words, these three buzzwords that are going to going to get the players' attention better next time. And we just nudged each other and we poked each other and we prodded each other and we learned from each other. Um, and we actually haven't worked on that for the last five years, but uh, it's still somebody that we hold dearly and, and, and learn a lot from. And um, sometimes it's like, it's not a, it's not a guru mentor. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, somebody on the front line with you it's somebody that's next to you it's your co-coach or it's your um a, a mate a friend who, who really gives you those little nudges and those little folks and products uh, in terms of like, the biggest learnings the biggest lessons 
I remember I used to have like little notepads all the time wherever I went. I still do now, but making notes and I had one and I wrote it on the cover of the notepad because I thought, oh, I love that quote. I, I didn't really know what it meant, but Stuart Hall said, <clears throat> people don't care what you know till they know that you care. Oh, that's really good. Like I like that one. So I wrote it on the front of my notepad and then made my notes on tactics and all that kind of stuff. And I kept coming back to it. And, you know, it's only really as you probably mature and you get a little bit more um, emotional intelligence, you understand people, you really understand what that quote means. Like genuinely, I've seen so many good coaches, such good detail that just cannot connect with people. And then I've seen some people that can really, really connect with people, but then don't have the, well, maybe the detail or the, or the, or the, um, the impact to follow it up. And, but for me, like to, to try and start with knowledge is the wrong place. Like you have to start with connection. You have to get people like people to know that you care. People to know that you're there for the right reasons. Um, I'm, I'm not an ex-player. I don't walk into a room and command uh, respect because I played in Champions League finals and I achieved this or did that. Not at all. Not at all. And I'm, I, I know that. Um, I, I get that respect from people by building respect by getting to know them by them getting to know me and I've I've worked with so many different players that have played at all different levels and I've never 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 ever had an issue with respect I've always managed to get that just by being myself and being personable and getting to know them so I think that's been the biggest the biggest impact on me as a coach from from one of those mentors was around understanding that understanding connections the most important thing Fantastic. Thank you for that. And I just want to kind of bring you back to something you touched on there about, you know, being able to command respect and some of the achievements um, that people may have had and that's helped them obviously going into certain environments. Now, um, I think on that note, I just want to talk about some of the achievements you've had, obviously, over the last few years in particular. You know, if we look back at your time with the FA, uh, take you back to 2017, you were part of the England on the 20 side, they ended up winning the World Cup. Um, what was that like? Yeah, incredible, an absolutely incredible uh, experience. Um, we were we were hanging on the coattails of, of some really good people. So some really good people have worked with that age group before and done some really good work at the clubs with those players. So we cannot take the credit for the win. Like, I got a medal, I got a gold medal, but there was probably 30 other people in that chain that deserved that medal as much as me. So... They'd been Europe. This age group had been European champions with John Peacock. They'd um, reached under 19s European Championship finals the year before with Aidy Boothride, which qualified them for the World Cup. Um, so, I mean, I'm really humble and cautious of taking credit for that achievement. But I was part of it. I was out there and I loved every minute of it. Like the experience of it, the intensity of it was fantastic. Um, the level of opposition. In a World Cup, um, in our World Cup's run, um, this competition is the second competition that, the, that FIFA organise and FIFA deliver. So um, to be part of that was outstanding. We play Argentina opening game and our record at the World Cup, at under-20s World Cups, had been, had been um, poor really over the last 30 years. So we're playing Argentina first game and genuinely our thought process as coaches going into that was just win the first game. Just wanted to win the first game. We just wanted to get a win under our belts and then see where the competition took us. So Argentina opening game, 
we're coming in off the back of a tough Premier League season. Some players playing, some players get released late, coming to us late. We we had a week in Japan just to just to train, um, get the lads prepared, and then fly over to South Korea and play Argentina. Argentina had like a month together. Um, the week before the plane lost the plane, I think it was Vietnam, and they've got like forty thousand people in the stadium, and like this real bus to send them off to the World Cup. Um, so we turn up, we play them, and and they're 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 ready for it. We, I th- I think they were they were better prepared for that opening game than we were, and they absolutely dominated us. We won the game three nil, like ridiculously. Like we were really good in both eighteen yard boxes. We got dominated in between the two eighteen yard boxes. Um, but we won 3-0, we were clinical, we took our chances. Um, they had a red card in the second half, we were already ahead in the game. They had a red card in the second half. Martinez, the centre-forward, who's now uh, uh, Milan, I think, he elbowed one of our players on the touchline. It was one of the first ever VAR red cards. So all those little moments, like, just still, you still come back to you and you, you get excited. But what we did from that moment forward was we improved every game. You know, the biggest credit I can give to the players and to the staff was we just went, we went on a journey. We, we, we believed in our processes. We believed in our organisation. We just came on game, drew the second game with Guinea, um, won the third game against South Korea to top the group, which gave us a really nice path to the, to the final. We had evening kickoffs. We had low, uh, less travel. Um, so they're really good and, and, and some, some fantastic games along the way. Mexico, beating them down to 10 men. Um, played Italy in the semi-final. So Italy had beat us in the European Championship semi-finals in 2019. We get them in the World Cup semi-finals in uh, 2019, 2016, sorry. We get them in the World Cup semi-finals in 2017. Um, and they, they were typically Italian, like really good defensively, really well drilled, really well disciplined. One of our players said, like, oh, if we concede the first goal, we're in trouble. We went 1-0 down after three minutes. So you talk about perspective. We asked the players for their perspective. We asked their players for what it was like last time we played them. Oh, if they score first, we're in trouble. They score first after three minutes. We're all sitting there going, oh, my God, why did we ask that question? Like, <laughs> that's at the forefront of all our minds. But the, the boys stuck to the game plan. They were excellent. They ended up winning that game 3-1. And then the World Cup final itself, to be involved in a game like that, um, Venezuela, their head coach had dropped down, their senior manager had dropped down to take their 20s for the tournament. They're some super talented young players. Um, a real um, dogged team really worked worked so hard for each other. And I remember being sat in the dugout and we're probably 15 minutes into the game and I am literally glazed over. I, I, I don't know what's... Like, I'm taking nothing in, I'm absorbing nothing, I'm not... I haven't spoke to any of the assistant coaches. I haven't spoke to the head coach. I couldn't tell you tactically what was going on in the game. Like the, the occasion had got to me. So I remember getting up, walking to the front of the technical area, not to do anything, just to almost snap myself out of it. Went back, sat down, made a couple of notes in my notepad. And from that moment on, I was back into my process. I was back into the routine. But just to have that experience of that magnitude of a game. And ultimately, that's what we were there for. We were there to expose the players to such a big occasion that touch wood, fingers crossed, when they reach those occasions again, when they get those experiences again, they're better for it. They're ready for it. We know that we want a senior team to win a World Cup. We know that's what we're 
our goal is and our objective is. And, and I know for a fact everybody that was involved in that definitely got some fantastic learning from it, some fantastic experiences. Um, but to come home, to fly back into Birmingham, to have my wife and kids meet me at the airport and get a photo with the trophy before it gets whirled away and puts in a in a, a box somewhere or in a uh, in a display case somewhere to get the kids to have a photo with the trophy and, and stuff like that to experience that was like yeah gold dust really such such special memories and such special people to experience that with the players and the staff um yeah it was wonderful really really good uh, i think you know just hearing you talk about i can just imagine the, the the depth of the, the you know the size of the occasion must have been quite you know, overwhelming to start with. But obviously, you have to you still got to get you got to get snapped back in. You can't be you can't be starstruck. You can't be left in any situation like that. But you know your 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 time obviously during that during that phase of you know, working in the twenties was uh, it was quite a unique role. Um, yeah, you know, lead in possession uh, coach. For yeah. maybe those that aren't too familiar with what that looks like, and you know what you do in that role what, what what does that look like yeah we um we didn't we didn't buy success but around that really successful period there was a massive investment from the FA and we that shouldn't go unnoticed so the FA invested a lot of money um and time and resource into making sure we were the best some of the best prepared teams in the tournaments that we were going to um and part of that was to look at our coaching setup and think about right, how can we how can we do this differently? And and there were some really innovative leaders that really tried to stretch and think about what well, how can we how can we coach differently to any other nation? How can we put um, get a competitive advantage from our training sessions? And one of the ways that we looked at that, and it was only one of the ways, but was to employ uh, what we called specialist coaches. So in layman's terms, it was assistant coaches with a real specific role and responsibility. Now, I'm not saying this doesn't happen. This, this definitely happens at clubs in first-team environments where you've got the resource, where you have a uh, first-team coach, a head coach or a manager, and he'll have assistant coaches with specific roles. That, like, I'm going to look after set pieces. I'm going to look after this. And all we did was we, we, we split those roles into in and out of possession, so attack and defence, really. So we employed uh, coaches to work with our age groups. We obviously had head coaches for every age group. And then we had a team of in-possession coaches and a team of out-of-possession coaches. So we went to the World Cup with head coach Paul Simpson, in-possession coach myself, out-of-possession coach Andy Edwards, and a goalkeeping coach Richard Hartis, and then the analyst, Alex Scott. And we kind of built this kind of pack of five of us. And it was, it was all about how well can us five work together to give us a competitive advantage? Um, I would really take responsibility and ownership of, of us when we've got possession of the ball. The out-of-possession coach would do the same on defence. What that meant was I would study how um, Argentina are going to press us, what their mid-block's going to look like, how they defend their goal. I come up with a game plan to really exploit that. The out-of-possession coach would look at how Argentina are going to attack, how they're going to build from their goalkeeper, how they create their goal-scoring chances, and to put a defensive plan in place. We'd present that to the head coach. Head coach would sign off or would challenge or would tweak or would say, I've noticed this as well. And 
So the head coach's role was there to kind of facilitate that and to guide it and to lead it. Um, yeah, and then how skillfully can we work together on the grass? So my role grew quite quickly from being an in-possession coach with one age group to then becoming the lead in-possession coach. So I, I kind of facilitated that group of coaches. Um, I wouldn't say I was the guru figure. I was telling people what to do. I was, I was facilitating discussions. What, what are you doing with the 19s that we can learn from? What do the seniors want? What does it look like with the first team? Um, I was facilitating lots of those conversations not talking about best practice, but probably talking about best principles. What are the principles that we can share? Um, I did that for a couple of years. And then I was asked by Dan Ashworth and Matt Crocker to become the head of specialist coaching. So to oversee the in and the out of possession. Uh, I had a coach called Richie Kyle who led the out of possession work and supported me a lot with this. And then my role then was to really kind of think about um, what does good specialist coaching look like? How do how do we get these coaches working together while on the grass? And what what it, what we definitely didn't want it to look like was silos. We definitely didn't want it to be uh, the in possession ter- coaches turn to coach now, and the out of possession coaches and the head coaches still in the touchline with their arms folded. In the head coaches, some of the head coaches to begin with were like, "What's this about? Like, I want a coach. I want to be a coach." And a hundred percent, that's what the model was there for. The model was there for. Um, how do we get you all interacting in a session to add value to the players so we speak about things like who's got a broad lens on the practice who's overseeing the practice who's doing the timings who's doing the rules the constraints who might have zoom focus just on a unit or an area of the pitch or um, I might just look at the back four in this exercise and then who might have laser precision and just be looking at one individual or one, one specific technical aspect it might be a cross coming into the box it might be um i'm only looking at uh our number 10's back foot receiving in this session that is it that's my laser focus and that's my detail um and we've got some really really good coaching going with it some really good work some really good learning environments um and players work all the players so let's say there's 22 players on that training pitch that day they won't all leave with the same message. They will leave with individualized work specific to their international development plan or what they're working on and, and what they need to, to get better at. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's what it looked like. And that was, it was different for me. It was really, as a coach coming into it, um, I was uncertain of what a specialist coaching was. I was uncertain of what an in-possession coach was. It definitely enabled me to delve into the detail. It definitely enabled me to, challenge and stretch my coaching um, and as a coach coming out of it so now I'm just a, an assistant coach um, where I'll look at after the in and the out of possession and, and I'll balance that off with the head coach and with the goalkeeping coach so we're back down to a team of three now um, coming out of it, it's definitely got me thinking differently about co- coaching it's got me def- thinking differently about Right, how how can I really help the head coach here lead this session? So if the head coach is leading the session on on us in possession, what can I be doing? Do, does he want me reinforcing the in possession messages? Does he want me opposing the in possession messages? Does he want me competing against it? Does he want me to try and cause it some problems? So these are the conversations we will have a lot as a, as a coaching team now to think about right how we're going to interact with each other, how we're going to work together as a team of coaches to add value to every session. 
Um, so yes, I learned loads from it. And again, just taking some best principles from it uh, and, and keeping that in my coaching. I think you make a great point there because I, I say to coaches all the time, um, one of the biggest skills that I learned over the most recent years was actually how to work effectively with other coaches. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think for a lot of us, when we first start, we tend to be uh, the only coach or we're working as an assistant or working with an assistant where it's, I'm going to step in, you'll step back or vice versa. Um, and, you know, finding that that right balance of, right, we can both work at the same time, but how much are you going to be in there? How much am I going to be in? And just balancing that, I think that's, that's a really uh, important skill. I think that's certainly as you go up the levels, um, where, where, you know, as you talk, there's, you know, the resources are there. There is more people on site. There is more people on board, not just on the on the grass, but even off the grass. And how we're working together, I think, is a massive, massive part to play. So I guess, you know, just yeah. on, on that then, you know, I'm interested to know, having those range of experiences, you know, going back right to the start of your journey to now, you know, working as a lead coach, working as a youth team coach, working as an in-possession specialist, working obviously now as an assistant coach in a range of other roles that I'm sure in between and around that. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges that you've had to deal with throughout that journey? Um, and it could be an on-the-field matter, or it could be an off-the-field thing. Um, and if you've been able to deal with it, fantastic, great. How have you gone about dealing with it? And is it some, or it could be something that you're still currently facing and still thinking about how you're going to get over it. Yeah. Um, good, really good question, Yaz. Um, so, I mean, I've I've lost players to illness. Um, we've passed away. I've been involved in um, child protection issues. I've had some really, really dark times and, and really difficult times that I've had to deal with. Um, but they've all they've all made me stronger. They've all uh, I use them all as inspiration and and as as focus and, and reflect on them. Um, in all honesty, one of the hardest times I've had to deal with is probably the current period around COVID. Um, and I see this for for lots for lots of people. Um, the lack of the lack of getting into St George's Park and treating St George's Park as a, as a training facility and bumping into each other and, and having conversations and, and that social interaction, I found really really difficult, really tough. Um, and adapting to this world, screen presentations, um, podcasts, talking, virtually meeting people has been wonderful. has been really, really good, really beneficial. And I hope that continues. I hope the coaching community recognise the benefits of this kind of stuff and, and continue to promote it and use it moving forward. Um, but looking at grassroots game, looking at players... Who are, who are missing out on missing out on the development opportunities? Um, I, I find it incredibly difficult at the moment. I think that potentially we are at risk of a lost generation of players. Look at the last 12, 18 months grassroots game um, when it's been on, when it's not been on, when it's allowed to be on. I know people have worked. So many grassroots coaches have worked so hard to deliver safe environments, to deliver safe sessions to really maximise the moments when they've been able to get back with the players, to offer them virtual sessions when they're, when they're not around, not available. International footballers took a massive, massive hit um, for it. And, and understandably, and 
and rightly so in a global pandemic. Um, but we've been able to deliver less camps, been able to get together with the players less, been fortunate with the under-21s and the senior team that we've created safe bubbles and we've had really good testing and we can still get our games on and we've still had travel exemptions to, to go to different countries and, and put games on. Um, but even then, the restrictions that you're working under, the how often can you meet the players, how often do the players have to be in their hotel room on their own, it's tough, it's so, so tough. Um, and it really challenges what the, the environments that you try and create really challenges. Like we want that, we want that family feel. We want that connection. We want to be sat together. We want to be having lunch. We want to be watching the telly together. We want to, and actually, do you know what we've been told? Like restrictions. No, you got to be in your own room. You can meet for 15 minutes. You can only meet in groups of six. You can, so doing lots of learning outdoors, doing lots of learning on the training pitch. Yeah, it's been a massive, massive challenge. I think it's been a huge challenge for everybody. Um, and that's without getting into the personal side of it, of bereavements and, and, and people losing family members and the suffering and the, the mental health and well-being of people going through this global pandemic. So I've got to say this has probably been the toughest part of my coaching journey, my coaching career. Um, I'm really fortunate in the position that I'm in to be in work. Um, although I've seen some really good people lose their roles, lose their jobs through this and through the through the cutbacks and stuff. So yeah, I mean it's been it's been it's been tremendously difficult. Uh, still still working out what it means. There's light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccinations. There's um, obviously the Premier League still going on, and there's still football for us to watch, which is fantastic and great. But there's so much so many people that are missing out at the moment on coaching, on on learning, and on playing kids and stuff like that so yeah I think I've got to say this has been really difficult No, no I appreciate that it's, it's certainly been a challenging time for everyone I think you know mediums like this have definitely helped people to kind of stay positive and motivated and you know to keep going you know and on, yeah. on that note you know, I'm, I'm interested to know for yourself you know obviously having gone through all the challenges that you have gone through and obviously uh, off the back of what you just mentioned there what is it about what is it for you that helps you stay inspired and motivated to keep going and, you know, being the best you can? Yeah. I, I think in a word coaching. So I think in a word, like if, if we sum coaching up as helping people, making people better, seeing improvement in people, connecting with people, uh, building relationships, developing people, teaching, learning, all that kind of stuff. That's what inspires me more than anything else. Just that that day-to-day -day process, that daily process of getting better, making people better, improving people, um, that inspires me so much. And um, I'll walk through, when when possible, i walk through shopping centres in Birmingham and have players stopping me that I coached in the college programme uh, 15 years ago, the Birmingham Academy when they were 10-year-olds and they're now 23-year-olds and I'm like trying to recognise who they are and <laughs> trying to get a name out of them and then it tricks and they're oh, flipping out. Like just having that connection with people and staying in touch with players that you've worked with, um, that inspires me. The game inspires me. I love the game. Uh, um, I love the sport. Um, I love sport in general. Um, I'm an innovative thinker, so I'm always thinking about, like, come on, where can we take it next? What's next? What can we do? How can we grow it? How can we improve it? Um, not just in my world, but in the grassroots, grassroots game and everything really, like how can we make the, the game better for everybody? Um, so yeah, that inspires me. 
Um, and do you know what? In my in my days of in my days of feeling down and feeling low, I turn to football. So I'll go and like download a game from South America and go and watch Boca Juniors or I'll watch Rangers last week or I'll, I'll watch different teams from around the world, some of that I haven't watched recently and I'll go and do a little study on them and, and that just enthuses me again to go again. So I'm a bit weird in that regard that I just turn to football when I need inspiration for football. So um, well, no, my, family, my family are great with it, like, they're all tolerant. Um, my little boy loves the game as well, so that that gets me going. Um, yeah, so yeah, just keep that passion, really. Yeah, no, excellent. You talking about the love of the game? You know, I think the game is it, it brings so many emotions um, in, in in you know in all different ways. I'm just interested to know now, you know, having having a range of experiences as much as you've got that love for, love for the game, um, and we've all got them. I know I've got mine. Um, I'm just interested to know what your bugbears are when it comes to come to the game more specifically with coaching. Yeah, um, on my bugbears with coaching, I, I, I aim this at myself. So ego. Um, I used to think that coach was the king, and, and at times I still do. Um, if somebody asked me what's the best. Your best image of coaching. I've got this video clip of Guardiola coaching Bayern Munich in, in Doha, and he's he's in the session. He's animated. He's centric. He's like he's detailed. He's passion. He's running around. It's like a seven minute clip. In that clip, I think the ball rolls for about two minutes. And the danger is, I don't know the periodization. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know. Understand the week. I don't understand why he's doing that session at that moment, or why he's using that coaching style at that moment. So I've taken it out of context and looked at it and gone, "That's brilliant coaching. I'm going to be like that." And my ego wants to be front and center. Wants to be in the middle of things. Wants to be running, running practices, running shows, and I want it to all be about me and my knowledge and my. And that was me very much as a young coach and. Uh, I look at it now and I just cringe so much to think, oh my gosh, get out of the way. Like, let the players, not let the game be the teacher. The coach is important. The environment's important. Let the game, let the game be there and, and the coach be part of the teaching process most definitely. Um, but sometimes get your ego out of the way. Um and that's a bugbear. I see it all the time. I see it in coaches. I see it in coaching courses, coaching qualifications. But we create that environment. The course sometimes creates that environment of like, you feel like you're being assessed. I feel like I need I need to get my knowledge out. Um, so, yeah, a bugbear for me personally, making sure I leave my ego at the door, making sure that it's not about me. It's about the players. It's about the players' needs. Um, and I'll, I'll be there and I'll be ready and I'll be impact and I'll compete every day to be the best version of me that I can be. So when I'm needed, I can, I can, I can add value a hundred percent. But yeah, that'll be the one for me. You know, just to kind of follow up on that, as we start to wind down now, then, you know, if we now take a look back at your journey, you know, all the experience you've had and now talking about some of your bugbears, um, we take you back to, you know, that 15, 16 year old stepping into the coaching yeah. world. What would be one message you'd like to give Aaron Danks back then if you had the opportunity? Um, I'm cheating a little bit here because this is, um, it's a bit of a, it's not a New Year's resolution, but it's kind of like a New Year's quote for myself or a statement. 
um, I'm reflecting on my journey and where I'm at now. And I use this with my kids. So I speak about eyes up, dream big, head down, work hard. Um, and I guess the message there is go back to my young coaching self. Eyes up, dream big. Like don't ever let anybody tell you you can't achieve your dreams. You can't. I mean, I'm now coaching nationally. I'm now working with England's under 21s. And think of that as a 15-year-old. Like, wow. Never thought I'd be able to get to that point in my coaching career. So um, I remember going to the Birmingham County FA. It was a coach education session. I was probably about 17 or 18. And you had to write down on a piece of paper what your dream was as a coach, what your ambition was as a coach. And I wrote down, I wanted to coach a uh, England youth team. And I wrote on a piece of paper and swapped it with the person next to me. And you had to read each of us out. And this guy read it out as he wants to coach an England team. And he got laughed. He got laughed at in the room. I always remember it getting laughed at. And I, by the age of 34, 35, I'd achieved it. Like I was working with England youth teams. And I was like, flipping out. Like, I remember that. And I remember like, I've achieved. So I, I'd always, always say, keep your eyes up and dream big. But there's no real destination. There's no real end point. There's no real, like, I want a World Cup, but it's not enough. Like, I want to do more. And that, like, that's not giving me all my happiness. And I'm not at some holy grail because I've achieved that. Um, it's the it's the head down, work hard bit. I actually think is the happy point. I actually think get your head down, work hard, enjoy every day, enjoy the process, enjoy the grind, enjoy the enjoy having to do the PMA and the heart and like the stuff that you don't like, get, get in there and get that, get that done. And that, that day to day bit, head down, work hard. I think is the happy place. So eyes up, dream big, head down, work hard and try and use it with my kids. Try and keep that for me as well now in my career. So you achieved everything you wanted to achieve. Like you've, you've coaching the youth team. So, so what's next? Well, eyes up, dream big, definitely. But, if you want to get anywhere, you want to achieve anything, it's just about head down, work hard and keep going. So speaking of eyes up, dreaming big, what is next for Aaron Danks? I don't know. <laughs> um, I get asked the question lots. Um, I'm enjoying the, I'm enjoying where I'm at. I'm enjoying the under-21s challenge. So we go into March where we're actually into the finals of the European Championship. So the way they're doing it this year, if they've split it in half, so the group stage of the Euros is in March and then the quarters, semis and the final is in May. So we go into a tough group stage in March. We've got Switzerland, Croatia and Portugal. Um, we need to qualify from the group to get come back in May. Um, so I, I'm enjoying that. Head down, work hard, get be, be the best prepared we can be going into it. Um, looking at the players, looking at what they're doing at the clubs, looking at the intensity that they're going through currently. Um Trying, trying to help AD, the head coach, um, be as prepared as we can be. Um, I, I look, I'm thoroughly looking forward to that. Beyond that, it, it will be the, it will be the head down, work hard bit that dictates where I am next. It won't be, it won't necessarily be. Um, eyes up, dream big is there, and I, I want to have goals. I want to set goals. Um, I want to have different experiences. I want to work with top players. I want to, I want to help develop people and improve people. I want, I want to enjoy um, experiences definitely. Um, but for me, it's just about keep your head down, keep working hard, see where it takes me. Um, still, 
still relatively young, still very ambitious. Um, and I think the, my, my experiences have given me different skills, um, lots of different skills that can take me into lots of different roles and lots of different environments. So I want to be open-minded about what that might be. So I know it's a bit of a fluffy answer. But I genuinely don't know. I get asked that question so much. Um, I genuinely don't know. I'm just enjoying where I'm at. I want to compete in what I'm doing every day. Um, I want to keep enjoying it um, and see where it takes me. Excellent. Yeah, Aaron, just that's something to come to come to in a, a point of this conversation where you know we've summed up your journey to date. I'm just interested now. You know, if I gave you 60 seconds now to kind of lend a golden nugget or two for the listeners and viewers, what would that be? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be personal to you. It's got to be like your personal journey. Find find your passion. Follow your passion and. And work as hard as you possibly can at it. Um, I think for me, for coaches, for coaches, when I'm looking at coaches or, or as looking to recruit coaches or anything like that, we, we came up with kind of like this strap line of know the game, teach the game, beat the game. So game knowledge is important and credibility is important. Um, and you've got to be a student of the game. So there's no getting away from that. Um, so get as many experiences as you can, coach many different people as you can um, and, and get that knowledge that, that, that game knowledge um, not just how the game's played but how the game's taught all that kind of stuff teach the game I think is important so um, we can teach in so many different ways now and I think again this pandemic is, is showing us that that sometimes we've got to teach virtually sometimes we've got to teach for a whatsapp message sometimes we've got to teach on a webinar sometimes we've got to put video clips together and and make sure they're really simple and understanding for the players. Uh, we've got to teach in every training session. So you've got to be a good teacher of the game. And then beat the game, for me, is the exciting part. It's like, what's next? Where can we take this game next? How can we innovate? How can we be better than uh, what's gone before us? What's coming next? Who, who our next opponents are? Because mm. everybody, everybody around the world and every other team are competing and trying to get better. So we've just got to keep that going as well ourselves. So, uh, yeah, for me, know the game, teach the game, beat the game um, is the exciting stuff. Fantastic. And, you know, just on a final note then, you know, just by being here, having this conversation with me, you, you know, you made yourself part of the coaches network. So on that note, what's the message that you want to leave behind for the rest of the network? What do you want to be known for? Um, yeah, I mean, at this current time, stay safe. Um protect protect our loved ones but protect our young players i think in this in this current this current situation that we're going through the pandemic i think we have to be really mindful of of the of the players and let's start thinking let's start future proofing it so when we come out of it what we're going to do better than what we've done before how we're going to support them how we're going to help them catch up on what they may have missed out on um yeah but i i mean thanks to guys like you and, and putting stuff together like this and the time and the effort that you put into it and the, the fantastic array of speakers that you've had and guests you've had before me are, uh, are really, really inspiring. Um, so there's loads out there that we can continue to learn from. So keep learning, um, keep being passionate and let's protect our, protect our young players and look after them. Fantastic. Well, Aaron, I want to thank you again for your time today. It's been very uh, enjoyable for me to have this conversation with you. I'm sure it will be for the listeners and viewers as well. Um, just on a final note, if there is any listeners or viewers out there that have 
any questions around some of the stuff that we've discussed in this conversation or beyond is there somewhere they could get in touch with you to do that yeah i'm searchable on linkedin so just my name aaron danks on linkedin um but probably the easiest one will be twitter so uh i'm a on Twitter at Coach Danks, um, quite interactive on there and willing to, yeah, please reach out if there's any questions, if anything anybody needs. Yeah, more than happy to help. Perfect. Thank you again, Aaron, for your time. I really enjoyed that. and hope you have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.